Welcome to the Grace Point Podcast, a ministry of Grace Point Church for Scythe in Cumming, Georgia. To find out more about Grace Point Church, you can go to our website at gpcga.org. That's gpcga.org. Of Ecclesiastes. So today we're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 2. You can find this on page 554 in the Blue Pew Bibles. Or if you need a larger print Bible, we have some uh, of the red ones in the back. You can find it on page 657. We're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 12 through 26. While you're turning there, I want to remind you men that after worship, we're going to have just an informational meeting for our men's ministry that we're going to start in the fall. Uh, This is an opportunity for you to kind of let us know what are some of the things you're looking for, ways that we're hoping to encourage and challenge and build you up. So shortly after the worship service, we'll meet back in here in the sanctuary and talk about that for a little while. So if you are a man, whether you're a longtime member or a first-time visitor, we'd love to have you come and uh, contribute to our discussion and hear about what we're going to be starting in the fall. Once you get to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 12 through 26. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can a man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet, I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and striving after the wind. I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and use my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he is given the business of gathering and collecting. 
only to give to the one who pleases God. This is also vanity and striving after the wind. Father, as we examine this text, we pray that you'll open our hearts to hear your gospel here, the promises you make. Open our minds to understand what you're trying to say in this text, and open our hands to apply this text to our life. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Just as a point of information for those of you while you're being seated, this is that first Sunday where our nursery is zero to two-year-olds. If you need to step out, if you have a three or four-year-old or a five through fifth grader as well, um, we have the classroom right here open. You can go and be with your kid in there if you'd like to, but for every child, we need a parent. Uh, And normally we have what we call Caruso Kid Zone, which is a time for our five-year-olds through fifth grade to study the Word. But because this is uh, Sacrament Sunday, a day when we are taking the Lord's Supper, we don't dismiss the kids to Caruso Kid Zone because if they're going to partake of the meal, they need to hear the sermon. They need to hear the Word of God preached. So that is why we are doing that. We are covering the book of Ecclesiastes, which I know is on the top of everyone's lists as books they want to hear covered as they open up their Bible. Uh, To give us some background, to remind us of where we are, Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature. That means the goal of Ecclesiastes is to drive us into the wisdom of God, to help us understand better who he is and how he loves us. This wisdom literature uses a variety of different methods and literature uh, techniques to convey its message. So as we read through, we need to remember that context is For those of you who don't know that, you will remember that in the future. Context is king. Anytime we read, we need to understand what's going on. And this is especially true in Ecclesiastes because some parts of Ecclesiastes are the ponderings of the author, and some parts are poetry, and some parts are allegory, and it has lots of different ways for conveying its message. So it's important that we read it that way in that context. It's important for us also to realize that this was written by probably Solomon. Uh, a wise man. He often refers to himself as Solomon, so that if he isn't actually Solomon, he is a Solomon-like figure, but I believe it's Solomon, so that's what I'm going to say. If you want to argue with me, I'd be happy to afterwards. If you go back to chapter 1, you see in verse 2 that the theme of this book is vanity of vanities, all is vanity. You see, The preacher, the one writing this book, is writing to Israel at a time where they're transitioning from highly agricultural society where they plant the crops and trust and pray that the Lord will bring the harvest so that they can eat, so that they can survive, to a time when they've been placed into the promised land. And we see the kings ruling over God's people. And as they go into the promised land, this is a land not only flowing with milk and honey, but a land that is a trade route between Africa and Europe and Asia. And so now God's people have the opportunity to start building, to start doing commerce, to start gaining wealth. Instead of trusting wholly on God for all things to be provided, now they can begin to gain wealth. And the preacher is saying, beware. Don't trust in that. Continue to trust in God. This theme verse in chapter 1, verse 2, talks of the word vanity. That word in Hebrew, havel, uh, carries the sense of a mist or smoke. It's like trying to capture smoke. 
If you're, if you're told, hey, capture as much smoke as you can, hold it in your hands, then show it to me. When you open your hands, you're not going to have anything in them. That's what vanity means. It's like the grasping after the wind, trying to gain things that you can't cling to. And it's interesting because in verse 2 we see it says, vanity of vanities. What this means is this is the highest vanity. If you think back to the tabernacle, the tent where God's presence dwelled, and the temple, the palace where God dwelled, we saw there is the beginning of that area called the holy place. And then behind the curtain is the holy of holies. Anytime we see something of something, that means it's the highest of that kind. The holy of holies is the highest, holiest place. And vanity of vanities means the most vain things. So that's what we're talking about in Ecclesiastes. What is vanity and how do we find contentment? Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 11, gave us this poem that helped us to see what we we're going to be talking about. And then starting in chapter 1, verse 12, and going all the way through chapter 2, verse 26, the author, the preacher, Solomon, is going to try out all the things of this world. He's going to tell us whether or not they give him comfort, security, and contentment. And so in chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, we saw he tried out knowledge, does knowledge in and of itself give me all the things I need for eternity and make me content and happy? And he says it is vanity. Last week, as we looked at chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, he tried out the pleasures of this world, all the things this world has to offer, all the things that our heart says, I want that, all the things that we're yearning for, saving up for, trying to get. He says he tried them all, and they are vanity. And so today as we open verses 12 through 26, we're going to see him try uh, both the wise living and work or toil. But before we do that, I want to set a stage with a story. Uh, there's a story of a pilot who had a regular route you know, which most pilots do, travel between uh, a few cities. And it, every time this pilot went over this one place, he would strain and lean out the window and try and see into that valley. So one day after flying over that place and flying with this pilot for a number of times, his co-pilot said, every time we pass this one spot, you lean over the window and look in this valley, what are you doing? He said, well, you see, I wanted to be a pilot when I grew up. So I'd be down in that river fishing, and every time a, a plane flew over, I'd say, man, I wish I was a pilot. And now, every time I fly over that place, I say, man, I wish I was fishing. <laughs> you see, the pilot yearned to be a pilot. But once he became a pilot, he yearned to be back at the river fishing. Contentment is a hard thing. We hear the phrase, the grass is always greener. We hear people say things like, man, I wish I knew it was the good old times when it was actually the good old times, instead of always looking forward to the next thing. Today, we're going to look at the preacher's uh, instructions on how to be content. We're going to do that by looking at the vanity of wise living, the vanity of toil, and the contentment in God. 
The vanity of wise living, the vanity of toil, and the contentment in God. So let's start by looking at the vanity of wise living. Now we see this in verses 12 through 17. Now logically, if we're seeking contentment, if we're seeking to, to really feel like we've done something, living wisely should lead us to a place of security and contentment, right? Well, Solomon says no. In verses 12 through 17, he's talking about how he strove to live wisely. In verses 12 and 13, he says, He was a king who outshone all other kings. We see this in chapter 1, verse 16. We'll see in chapter 2, verses 7 and 9. And everyone else will just copy what he's done. So whatever he pursues is going to be at best what it could be. And so he says that there is value in living a wise life. Even though wisdom is a mixed bag, which we've already seen in chapter 1, verse 18, where pursuit of knowledge not only does give us knowledge, but will also make us sad. That's what chapter 1, verse 18 says, because we realize how sinful we are. We realize how hopeless our plight is. So wisdom is a mixed bag. It's still better than living like a fool. And that's what he's telling us in verses 12 and 13. I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, just as there is more gain in light than dark. But in verses 14 through 16, he says, despite wisdom being better, both wisdom and folly end the same way. If you live your life in the wisest way possible, setting forth everything that you possibly can do the right way, you're going to die. If you squander everything that you have, living in folly in all these ways, you're going to die. So living wisely, while it is better than living in folly, you are still going to die. Wise living in and of itself cannot bring contentment because it cannot go beyond death. Not only that, but Solomon says that we will all be forgotten. Some people try to live wisely so that they can leave a legacy behind that everybody can look to and they can be venerated throughout history. But Solomon says, you'll be forgotten. Now, unless you're really into genealogy, probably none of us know who our great, 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 great aunt is. They're forgotten. doesn't matter how great they have done. You think about the wise people that even today we remember we don't know who their ancestors are. We just know what they did, and they still will be forgotten. The wisest people of the first two or three centuries, many are forgotten. And it doesn't matter if we live wisely or foolishly, we also will be forgotten. So in verse 17, Solomon realizing that wise living in and of itself would not bring contentment, says, I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and striving after wind. Now, this is not utter despair. So, realize here he's speaking in hyperbole. Elsewhere in this book, even, he says life is better than death, chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. And he says to enjoy life in chapter 3 and chapter 9. So, he's not in utter despair. But what he's saying is that he hates life in the sense that he finds it deeply disappointing in some areas and cannot fill his sense of contentment or eternal security. 
No matter whether we live wisely or we live foolishly, we gain nothing eternally from that life in and of itself and are eventually forgotten. Now, just to remind us, he says, so I hated life, he says, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. This is a clue to us. You remember that phrase, under the sun, will appear over and over and over again in this book. And under the sun means done without God, done here on the earth, parallel without the Lord. So everything done under the sun, living wisely without God, is vanity is chasing after smoke is striving after the wind if you chase the wind what do you get nothing so living without god is vanity whether you live wisely or foolishly so in verses 12 through 15 solomon tells us that the vanity of wise living is vanity so now that we've looked at the vanity of wise living, let's look at the vanity of toil. We see the vanity of toil in verses 19 through 23. Now Solomon turns to hard work to see if it satisfies. After all, God created us to work the garden. God gifted each one of us with a profession, with a way for us to work, and has told us we can find contentment in our work. And so Solomon says, if I work hard, will that satisfy me eternally by itself under the sun? Now, this would have been particularly important to Solomon. As the king, he's leaving everything behind to his son. So all the great works that he did, that he's already talked about, are going to go to his son. Is his hard work going to his son going to provide him contentment? Let's look at verses 18 through 20. Solomon's joy in his work is severely diminished because he's going to have to leave it to other people. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Solomon knows that it doesn't matter how hard he works, he can't take his accomplishments with him. No matter how hard he works, he's going to have to pass it on someday. After all, we just read that he's going to die. And who knows whether or not the one that he passes on to is going to be wise or a fool. In the New Testament, we have a story like this, the prodigal son. The prodigal son, the older son, squanders everything that his father has given him. The father has worked hard for all that he has, and the prodigal son says, give me my inheritance now. He's essentially saying, I want you dead. And he goes out, and he wastes it all. So all the hard work of the many years of this father, some of it is taken away with this son and totally squandered. He lives foolishly. We don't know whether or not that's going to be the case with our work, with our inheritances that we leave behind. And honestly, this is especially tragic in Solomon's case. Solomon was the third king of Israel. All 12 tribes united. Solomon leaves his kingdom and his mighty works and his wise sayings to his son Rehoboam. And Rehoboam divides the kingdom. He tears apart all that Solomon worked hard for. 
creates a northern and a southern kingdom, brothers who are fighting against each other, tribes who should be united are torn apart. Solomon's inheritance was used foolishly. And that's what he realizes, that that is a possibility. But even if it was used wisely, it gains him nothing. In 21 through 23, will those who receive our legacy use it well? Sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. Solomon is asking the question that we now know the answer to with Rehoboam, despite the years of work that he put in, despite the overtime and the extra hours and the time away and the weekends used, despite all the hard work that Solomon did, he's going to have to someday give it to someone else. He may have worked hard to create a huge legacy, and the person he hands it to may do exactly what the prodigal sons did wasted it. And we know Rehoboam did. And this reminds me, because I've talked to many people who have retired or who have become empty nesters and their kids have moved out. And the comment I hear over and over again is not, man, at the end of my life, I wish I had worked more hours and worked more for that boss. The comment I hear over and over and over again is I wish I had been with my family more. I wish I had taken work less seriously and spent more time with my family, more time in the Word, because that overtime means nothing now. That overtime that got me that new boat or whatever the case may be means nothing. But I took away from time with my family. Solomon says the hard work, the toil that we put in, is vanity because we don't get to take it with us and it doesn't give us anything eternally you don't see hearses being followed by u-hauls it's just not the way it works so having talked about the vanity of wise living and the vanity of toil let's look at the contentment that we find in god in verses 24 through 26 there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil this also I saw is from the hand of God. Ecclesiastes doesn't do a lot of talking about God. Ecclesiastes talks a lot about how the pursuit of this world and things like that are vanity. But here we see that God is key to finding the thing that is not vanity. Solomon has now tried knowledge, pleasure, wise living, toil, and he has failed to find contentment and eternity in all of them. He said all of them are vanity. So does that mean that they have no benefit and we should just give up? Because that's kind of what it sounds like, right? All the joys of this world, everything we work hard for, doesn't work. It's all vanity. It's chasing after wind. Should we just give up? Solomon answers that question with no. Verses 24 and 25 tell us, find contentment in God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? God and God alone can provide us not only contentment, but eternal security. 
In God, we can enjoy food, drink, and work. And Solomon encouraged us to do this. Enjoy the simple gifts that our God has given you every day. Instead of striving and skipping lunches to work harder, to get more things, to chase after the knowledge, pleasure, and things of this world under the sun, enjoy the gifts God has given you. Enjoy your lunch today. Enjoy the way that he has given you a profession that, Lord willing, you enjoy. Enjoy those small pleasures because you're enjoying them in God who has given and promised you eternity. Those pleasures within themselves will not satisfy, but God has given them to you to enjoy. Enjoy your family, enjoy your food, enjoy your work. They can bring joy when seen in the light of God. When pursued by themselves under the sun, seeking them for their own sake, they will not provide joy. They'll only provide vanity. But in light of God, they can bring us joy. The gospel tells us that we are eternal beings. We're not just meant for here and now. You'll often hear pastors say things like, this is not our home. This is not it. We have eternity coming. But we only get that eternity in the positive way through the gospel. If we strive and we work to try and earn our way to heaven, we can't do it. For the wages of sin is death. Everything we do is sin because of our sinful nature, And so if we try to earn it on our own, we can't do it. And because we can't do it on our own, God has given us this free gift of eternal life by trusting in Christ. Without Christ, we will be eternally separated from the joys of God and be under the condemnation of God for all the sin that we did in this world. With Christ... He's already paid that price. And so if we are with Christ, if we trust in God, if we believe that he is bringing us into his presence, then the little things of this world can be enjoyed. Not to be pursued by themselves, in and of themselves, but they are gifts from God. And we can enjoy them. We can enjoy the taste of a delicious steak or maybe a salad if you're on a diet or if you just like salads. We can enjoy being with friends and family. We can enjoy our jobs because we know we are doing them for God's glory. They are not the end in and of themselves. They're a gift given to us to enjoy. We're called to enjoy what God has given instead of pursuing those things for joy themselves. True joy and contentment is not found under the sun. It is found in God. If you look with me to Matthew chapter 6, this is on page 811 in the Blue Bible. Sorry, I didn't look up the page number in the Red Bible. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 33, Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? 
And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grasses of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is brown, thrown into the oven, will he not much more close you? O you of little faith. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after the things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In the midst of his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells them, just like Solomon, don't pursue the things of this world. Don't worry about the things that you can't control. Trust in the Lord. He has clothed the lilies in a more beautiful pattern than anything we could make ourselves. Will he not also clothe you? Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Don't pursue pleasures or toil or knowledge or wise living. Because those things in and of themselves won't bring you contentment and eternity. Instead, turn to the Lord and trust Him. Paul says something similar in Colossians chapter 3. He's on page 984. In verses 16 and 17, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The things under the sun are broken cisterns. That was our confession, Jeremiah chapter 2. We try to create broken cisterns, ones that can't hold water. Everything in this world without God is a broken cistern. God has given us full and complete cisterns. We live for him. And in him and in him alone will we find true joy and contentment. Not in knowledge in and of itself. Not in the pleasures this world offers. Not in wise living. And not in our toil will we find what we're looking for. Only in God can we find eternity and joy. So verse 26 says, pursue God and his glory. Solomon has tried all the things that this world has to offer, all the things that our hearts are tempted by. They will not satisfy. They will not give us what we're looking for. Only the Lord will. And as we pursue God, that enables us to enjoy the things of this world, the gifts that he's given. Not pursuing them for our pleasure, but pursuing the Lord and enjoying the things that he has given. So where are our hearts and minds? Are we pursuing things under the sun? Or are we pursuing the Lord? Are we chasing after all the enjoyments that we can have in this world and in this life, hoping that they'll bring us contentment, joy, peace, and all the security that we need? Or are we pursuing God for all those things and enjoying the very gifts that he gives? Is our heart towards this world 
Where is our heart towards God? Are you working for the weekend? Are you waiting for retirement? Trusting that at those two times, you'll finally be able to have fun, relax. I got bad news. Christ might come back right now. Or before Friday. Or before retirement. We just never know. So working for the things of this world cannot bring us contentment. Instead, we are called to praise the Lord as he gives us gifts to enjoy. As Christians, as little Christs, we're called to stand out in this world. This world is in the rat race, pursuing the things, the pleasures that they can only see in this world under the sun. God will give us so much greater and so much more than anything this world has to offer. I've said it a bunch of times. You look at Rockefeller. Somebody asked him, how, much more, how many more dollars will it take for you to be happy? Richest man in history. What does he say? One more dollar. Do you think if she pulled out her wallet and gave him one more dollar, he would have been happy? No. His point was, it's the pursuit of the money. He's not happy. He's continuing to pursue the money until he is. Solomon says he never will be. Jim Carrey said something to this effect. I wish everybody could have all the money they ever wanted so that they could see that it won't give you the joy you're seeking. The things of this world cannot bring us contentment, cannot bring us joy, cannot bring us peace. Only God can bring us that. And when our focus is on the Lord then we can enjoy the things that he's given. Enjoy the work that he's given. Enjoy the food that he's given. Enjoy the family that he's given. Enjoy his blessings every day. Solomon closes this section by saying, look, I've chased after all these things. I've chased after them in a way you'll never be able to chase after them because I was a king with unlimited wealth, essentially. They're not going to satisfy. Stop pursuing these things. Instead, pursue God. And as you pursue him, the small things in life will bring you great joy. Your ultimate security and contentment lies in him. And when you're content in him, then you can be happy in the small things that he gives. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us. It's not easy to avoid pursuing the contentment that this world offers. It's not easy avoiding the pursuit of the pleasures this world offers because so many of them seem to provide so much. And yet, Father, you call us not to pursue them, but to pursue you, and you will give us what we need. So, Father, we pray that as we walk out from here, we would not only realize where we're pursuing the things of this world, the things under the sun, the things that are vanity, and that we'll stop pursuing those things. But also, Father, we pray that we'll be drawn more and more into your presence, seeking after you, loving you, and then enjoying the gifts that you give us each and every day. From the shoes on our feet to the roof over our heads to the food we put in our mouth, Father, help us to see your gifts. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. We pray that you are drawn closer to God and encouraged to be in the Word. 
If you have any questions, please reach out to us at gpcga.org. That's gpcga.org.